Much of the language that we tend to hear these days with regard to the church tends to be discouraging, I think we can say that. We have a habit, at least within reform circles, of looking back to especially the Protestant Reformation and the era of the Puritans and kind of daydreaming about what it must have been like to live in those days when there was such spiritual darkness or very little evidence of God's power in any meaningful and truthful way. The church had become so um, cluttered with lies and deception and darkness, and, and yet God comes in mercy, and after darkness there's light, as we often say. You have various happenings going on that aren't just occurring in the church, but spreading out from the church. You have things like the Dutch Golden Age, when the Dutch becomes uh, its own independent place, and the flourishing that happens as a result of the, the Reformation upon the minds of the people. It, it changes their ethic. We talk about the Protestant work ethic. It changes their uh, literacy level and their, their reading and their education. It results in this years and years of prosperity and growth reaching into other parts of the world, and other nations could be named in like manner. You can have something similar happening in Scotland as well. And you, you see the correlation. The correlation of their prosperity and their influence in the world as a result of their adherence to the gospel, the, the power and influence of the gospel within the ranks and borders of the nation. And we look back and we say, do it again, Lord. We have a tendency to desire a return to those days in some fashion. And so what happens at times when we deliver our hagiography, to use the technical term of the past, it begins to sound like a eulogy for the present. It's like we, we speak about the church in the past as if in some way we're also speaking about the recent death of the church in the now. And that's, that's a poor way to think about it, beloved. And it's not a biblical frame of mind to possess. And we should learn to speak like the Scriptures. And the Scriptures in this portion give us much encouragement. We have our Lord Jesus speaking concerning the kingdom. What are we to expect? How are we to look at what to, should we anticipate with regard to the kingdom of God? And it's not discouraging. It is not discouraging. It doesn't fit with a lot of the speech that we hear within the ranks of the church today and often, sadly, from the pulpit. So, tonight we are looking at what I've titled The Unassuming and Invisible Power of the Kingdom. The unassuming and invisible power of the kingdom. And as we begin, we want to look first at what the kingdom is. We talk here, our Lord Jesus says, unto what is the kingdom of God like, or whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God in verse 20. What are we dealing with? The kingdom of God is a way of defining the mission and message of Christ that you find within the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven, sometimes the kingdom of God. Some would like to say that there's a, a distinction between those terms, as if there's, uh, that one means something and another, the other means something else, but they're not. There's no way to argue that from the Scriptures. They are synonymous, and they point to the rule of God's Son, here and now and beyond. It confronts us. This is what's happening when you're reading through the gospel. You have men being confronted with a message that the king himself has come into the world. He is here. And he is preaching a message, a message of repentance and submission to his authority. It is by submission to Christ that one gains entrance into this kingdom. And so Paul will say in Acts 20, verse 24 and following, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So the, the, the summary of his activity on that occasion as he addresses those before him is, this is what I've done. I've been preaching the kingdom of God. And that then is a summation of his labor, calling men to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
A number of things then when we think about the kingdom of God, and this is just touching the surface for our benefit tonight. First, it begins with Christ. The New Testament launches into this presentation that with the arrival of the Son of God is the coming of the kingdom. It's the kingdom of His dear Son, Colossians 1.13. It not only begins with Christ, it promises eternal life. In Matthew chapter 19, we have the language of our Lord, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's the inquiry. And after that dialogue and uh, interaction uh, transpires, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so you have this one desiring eternal life, but it's speaking of entering into the kingdom of heaven. So you have that pulled together. There's an aspect in which that's what it is reflecting. Of course, then, this is the ministry of Christ. The, 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 again, the summation of his ministry in Matthew 4, 17 is that from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it begins with Christ. It promises eternal life. Thirdly, it has a mixed outward expression. It has a mixed outward expression. Sometimes we forget this. And we imagine the kingdom of God in this internal aspect in which everyone who, um, everyone in the kingdom is in the kingdom, as it were. But, but the, while that's true, in a certain sense, there's also an external expression. And it's cleared up by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 13 with regard to this. He deals with the kingdom of heaven there, and he likes it unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And the instruction isn't, don't go immediately and try to tear up the tares, remove them, lest you bring up the wheat also. So he says, let both grow together until the harvest. So there's a sense in which there's this outward expression of the kingdom of God that gives us a mixed multitude, you might say. It's not all wheat. It's not all true. And that's, that's the case here tonight. The church always has this has to face up to this reality there, there is within her ranks, often in her membership, sometimes even in her leadership. Tears. So it has a mixed outward expression. And fourthly, it has a future aspect. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has a future aspect as well. The dying thief turns to the Lord. What words these are? Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, in Luke 23. Remember me. And the Lord Jesus, of course, comforts him that this is not something that is way in the future for him. Today, shalt thou be with me in paradise, is the response. But, but he, he is looking, he is anticipating this future aspect, and our Lord also teaches us that there's, there's an aspect of the future coming of the kingdom. So we are told to pray, thy kingdom come. Let it come. Let it arrive more on the scene. And that's present and future. It is constantly to be, be coming in. More clearly, Paul looked forward to Christ's appearing and His kingdom, 2 Timothy 4, and rejoices that the Lord will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom in the same chapter. So th these are just some points with regard to the kingdom of God. What do you mean when you talk about the kingdom of God? It begins with Christ. It promises eternal life, it has a mixed outward expression, and has a future aspect. It's constantly, it didn't come with Christ and then stall. It's constantly coming. We're constantly praying that it will come. And so we are encouraged to seek first what? The kingdom of God. Our whole gaze, our, the whole trajectory of our lives is constantly to come into line with the kingdom of God as we make our way into the full expression of His glory in a future day. I admittedly and humbly uh, may differ with Dr. Cairns in some aspects of his understanding of the kingdom, but his summation of it in his dictionary is very helpful. And he says in this, in summary then, we note that the kingdom is historical, for it comes in time and is even now at work in the world. It is ethical as the Sermon on the Mount makes clear, that's where you have the language of seek first the kingdom of God and praying thy kingdom come and so on. It is spiritual, for it signifies eternal life, and it is eschatological, for it is associated with the prophesied consummation of the ages. 
So it comes in with Christ and it continues on. That's the kingdom of God. And so when we look at a passage like this, we have our Lord Jesus speaking of what the kingdom of God is like. And this is something that is being brought in with his arrival. It's right there. It's fresh. And he is speaking in terms of the kingdom and he is constantly giving a a clearer understanding of what it entails and what to expect. So, that's the kingdom of God very simply laid out before you tonight. Secondly, then, we come then to the the heart of the message, the unassuming power of the kingdom. This is what we want to consider, the unassuming power of the kingdom. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? Verse 19, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. The unassuming power of the kingdom. A couple of things to see here. First, it is planted by God, not man. The sense of it, though it doesn't explicitly say it, we know by the arrival of Christ, as we've just seen, it's by the arrival of Christ you have the kingdom beginning in its origin, as it were. And so this grain of mustard seed which a man took, the language there, the verbiage indicates a deliberate. It's not a haphazard taking. It's a a taking of it purposefully and placing it in the garden. And so you have here a, a, a little insight into, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. There was a point in, point in the fullness of time, in the, the kind of coming together of, of the, the providence of God through the history of the world. There's this distinct time. It's not, again, haphazard. It is right this point, this place, in this circumstance. Christ arrives. And God is governing over it all. God is sovereignly seeing fit to make it all come to pass precisely as it has. And it is likened then to a grain of mustard seed. A grain of mustard seed. Proverbially known in that time as the smallest of the seeds. You'll read different ones talking about, well, it wasn't actually the smallest seed. But from my reading and understanding is it was the smallest seed that men actually used in any way, in any kind of meaningful way. If they're growing a garden or growing something, of all those things that men were known to grow, the, the, the mustard seed was the smallest that they would take and they would use. And so it was understood in that way. This is the smallest seed that grows into something that's not insignificant. A, 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 a bush of sorts, but it almost resembles a tree in its size and scale. Some of the things I read said that sometimes it would get to a size large enough that a man on the back of a horse or something could actually take shelter under it as well. So it's, it's fairly tall. We're not talking here about a giant redwood or anything like that. But you're, you're, you're dealing with something. This seed is so small, this tiny little seed. And it grows into this significant plant. And Jesus says that's precisely what the kingdom is like. It's so unassuming. The tiniest little seed, but it grew and waxed a great tree, and it becomes useful. The fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. So, so God is the one that plants, it and He takes this. He doesn't do it the way we might do it. And the, the picture of this is, is, is wonderful, because our Lord Jesus comes without pomp and circumstance. He comes into the world, and there's almost no acknowledgement of who has just arrived. There are exceptions, of course, as you well know, but there's very little. And so, he, he comes to the world, and the world receives him not. Isaiah 53 talks about um, his, his, his rejection, that there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. This is language that expresses what actually occurred. This, this, this little seed comes in, and it's placed right there in Bethlehem, according to prophecy. And, and it seems so little. And right through his life, there's very little attention. During his ministry, there's more attention. But, but ultimately, at the end, there's not this pomp and circumstance and fanfare. They, they want to, in a mocking fashion, though they don't get the language they desire, they want it in a mocking fashion to have a sign above his head 
He said he is king of the Jews. Now, in the, in the providence of God, they didn't get that little bit that they wanted. So it just said, the king of the Jews, right there, as a, a, a mockery of their wishes and a declaration of who he truly is. But, but again, it's so little. This is, we're thinking about a king. We're talking about royalty. And many of you, some of you take interest. You, some of you take more interest in it than I do in, in the royal family and the goings-on of the royal family. And you see all the, all, all the again, I use the word fanfare, just the, the pomp and circumstance of, of anything significant that goes on with the royal family, whether it's a wedding or a funeral or something else. And yet this one, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is described like the smallest seed planted. Who knows it's planted? Almost no one. Who gives attention to it? Almost no one. But God has planted this into His garden. He took Christ and he put him in his world. So it's planted by God, not man. Secondly, it will grow. It will grow. And this is the major point, isn't it? The grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden. I love this. And it grew and waxed a great tree. It grew. So, at this point... And it's not easy to discern who the true disciples of Christ are. But, but we know. What do we know? We know about the twelve. We know about the seventy. We know the women that followed him. Dealt with them. Luke chapter 8. So, so there's, there's a group of, let's, let's say, about 100 people gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ by this time. We're going to be told that above 500 see him after his resurrection. When they meet in the upper room to pray, there's about 120. These are not large numbers. These are not big numbers. I mean, the average size of a Protestant church in America is somewhere in the region of 75 or thereabouts. It's not, it's not big. And that's kind of what you have here. Just, just a small group gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, yet, Christ, and just step back, sort of take in the scene. He's already declared, I am going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. So as he's setting his face to head to Jerusalem, he says, here's what the kingdom is like. It's like a mustard seed that's going to grow into a great tree. So he has confidence. Our Lord Jesus has all the confidence that what he is doing, and note this, he is working harder than anyone has ever worked. And he has more power than anyone has ever had. And yet the real effect of his ministry is somewhat, in one sense it's having a huge impact. Everyone's aware. But it's not having the kind of deep roots that one might expect so that when he comes to Jerusalem, they truly want to make him a king and and crying on him, they are going to cry, crucify him, because the root of the matter is not there in the vast majority. He came on to his own, and his own received him not. And so his experience of this growth of the kingdom is, is not in the full glory of it in his time as he labors here upon the earth. And yet he is, he is laboring and laboring. Get that, beloved. In your labors, parents laboring with your children, Christ is laboring, as I said, harder than anyone, with more power than anyone, and yet the impact is, is relatively small. And you're laboring to, to see the kingdom advanced in the hearts of your children. Or maybe you're trying to reach out to your community, or you're doing evangelism in some context, teaching Sunday school, Bible club, whatever it is. And you feel like it's so small. Join the club. The Lord Jesus had very little impact that he could see right there in front of him. And yet it doesn't, he hadn't lost heart. He hasn't lost heart. He, he's, he's getting up and he's saying, here's what the kingdom of God is like. A grain of mustard seed 
taken and placed into the world, and it grew and waxed a great tree. Now, we're not, he's not seeing that. But that is what is going to transpire. Why would the Lord Jesus believe this? Well, for one, we know that his whole heart and mind was filled with a knowledge of the Scriptures, wasn't it? When he faced temptation, how did he face temptation? It is written. And he quotes Deuteronomy as he faces Satan in the wilderness. How then would he have faced the temptation to believe that his work was in vain? You, th you think he didn't face such temptations? The man, Christ Jesus, would have faced the same temptations you face. The temptation to give up. The thought that it's not worth it. And what would have girded him? Oh, think of the prophecies concerning him. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, and he looks forward, no doubt, to the gathering in of the nations. Isaiah 55, verse 5, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run into thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. You think he didn't know that? Of course he did. You think it didn't encourage him? Of course it did. His heart was filled with the expectation of these things transpiring. Isaiah 60, verse 5, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And you see this then in the first century. You see this working out. These, these people who knew nothing of the God of Israel. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Or right at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, 28, be it known unto you, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. So, this is the pattern. It is a pattern of, listen, unassuming growth. It's unassuming growth. Because with the ministry of Christ, it is growing. It's like the roots are being, the little seed has been planted, and the roots are going down, and you can barely see. You're wondering, is the shoot, has it come up yet? And you're looking at it every day, wondering, is, is, is it even, is it alive? I better not disturb it. <laughs> I better not poke around. Let's give it a few more days. Let's see if it, something happens here. That's what it's like in the ministry of Christ. In the first century, it begins to, you begin to see the, the green shoots. You begin to see the evidence that there's, there's life there. And sometimes you get to see the, the growth of the church visibly. Sometimes it appears to recede. But the pattern, this is, this is the pattern. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The pattern is unassuming growth. This tiny little seed that begins to grow. We prefer our own analysis of what we can see happening over the Word of God. And if Christ had done that, He would have failed in His mission. So we, we lament. We lament, especially with this American-centric perspective of the kingdom of God, or Western-centric, because it's not unique to America. Nations, all nations in the West that have been touched with the gospel, they look and they see better days in their past. I mentioned Scotland, I mentioned Holland, I could mention others. So we look back, and as I say, you, you kind of come out with this hagiography of it all, which is more like a eulogy of, of, of the present day. The church is dead. <laughs> it's not doing anything. But 
But it is. It is. Because the kingdom of God is, is not confined right here. We begin to think like Jews, that think it must be in Israel. It must be here. No, no, it's going to spread to places you've never been to, to people groups you don't even know exist. I was this week, had coffee with a young man that I have followed for some time. He's a graduate of Bob Jones. And I had coffee with him. He invited me for coffee one time I was here, going back 20, 2019, I think it was. I had just arrived. I think that, that was the time. And uh, he was just getting ready to set out and prepare himself. His, his burden is for Yemen, right? And the vast majority of people here probably would struggle to find Yemen on the map, right? But his Maybe, maybe you'd surprise me. Maybe you would. <laughs> That's possible. Uh, let me take that back. But Yemen, right? And he's spent the last two and a half years in Jordan learning Arabic, part of a little church, doing Bible study with them. And every Friday, I look forward to his email. Comes in on Friday morning. I get to read just the things to pray for and what the Lord is doing. And there's just these ones and twos. Like every cab trip he gets, he, he gets talking to someone about the Lord there in, in Jordan. And, and he is looking to go back. He's here for a time. He'll go back, God willing, to try and get into Yemen directly. But it's, it's a, this is just one of many. One of many. In little areas and regions where some of the churches don't have, they don't even have labels across. It, it's, it's just this covert, underground, little gatherings of people crammed into little rooms, shoulder to shoulder. That's what he told me. First time I went to the the church as he walked into the room, and they're all like just shoulder to shoulder crammed into this little space. Some of them are Christians from Iraq, of maybe Orthodox or Roman Catholic background or whatever. Some, some are converted Muslims who have, have risked their very life and their livelihood to take the name of Christ. But they're in there gathering and worshiping the Lord. And that is happening all over the world, all of the time, all of the time. And so the mustard seed's growing. It is growing. It's, I've mentioned, I, I feel like I've mentioned this regularly, but it has to be, I, I also feel this compulsion to keep telling you that it is advancing, that there are more Christians in China now than, than, than ever there has been, and it just keeps growing at an alarming rate. Same with Iran, growing at 8% or thereabouts. I mean, this, this is, these are significant growths in the church. And yet we still stand here and lament what's going on. We, we turn to passages like Matthew 24. And we read verse 6. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus says, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so we, we read that verse, and some interpret it in such a way that they look at it and they say, oh, they hear these wars, rumors of wars, Jesus is about to come. Now, with regard to that passage, some might say that this is specific to prior to the fall of Jerusalem, and that may be some interpretations, and that's fine. But even if you think and you believe that this is happening, like, like this is going to happen as in a future experience of wars and rumors of wars, and you tend to think that this will be, lead up to the Lord's return. That's not what the Lord says. Listen. In fact, turn to it if you want to see it for yourself. Matthew 24, 6. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It would seem to me his point is, this is normal life. This is the way it normally is. There are wars and rumors of war. That's the way the existence of the world will be. That's what you're going to hear. It will mark all times, generally speaking. But we have this mentality where we, we think, oh, the best days must be behind us. No, they... No, they From whence do we get these ideas? Like, really? I, 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 just, I think I'm reading at times a different 
Bible. Honestly, I do. I, I just, I, it was okay, right? Now, go to, you go to Romans 11, and you read about the gathering in of Israel, and you see what it is that will gather them in, right? So we're looking forward for the gathering in of the Jews, okay? And what does Paul say? Romans 11, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, fall of the Jews of Israel, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. So Israel is rejected. It goes to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and a diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now, to provoke them to jealousy. Now, we, I think you can see a little bit of this in the first century in the book of Acts. For example, I'll not turn to it, but Acts chapter 6, where you have the appointment of the deacons. And because of the Greek, you know, the, the murmuring of the Greek widows and so on. And they appoint the deacons. And immediately after that, we are told that many of the priests believed. It appears to me that the way the church was functioning and the charity of the church was causing some priests with a conscience to realize the reality of God's Word is being lived out over there, not here. And it provoked them to jealousy, and they believed. And Paul says we are to look to this future where there's such an engathering and such a, such a, a positive force of the Gentiles that is being weaponized by God, as it were, to provoke them to jealousy and conversion. Well, that's not, that's not happening right now. I mean, not in a great way that I'm aware of. I have heard some stories about things happening in Israel and more evangelical influence that is occurring there now than they have seen in a long, long time. That may, that may be true. But I say all of this because I believe, yes, there may be darker days, but there are also more glorious days ahead. The kingdom, or let's use this language, the mustard seed and its growth has not been stunted and is not going to stop. It's going to keep going. Nothing is going to stop it. The devil already threw everything he had at the Son of God and failed miserably. So it's going to be throughout all ages. Again, there'll be ebb and flow. Yes. But the Spirit bloweth where it listeneth. You know, it, it kind of it goes, it's like the wind, it goes wherever. And okay, okay, America's not, you know, as Christian as it was prior to its founding and at its founding and the, the days that followed. And yet, even then, even, even then, I mean, how do you interpret Christianity? Like, what, what are you talking about <laughs> in terms of the church? Because, as I said, it's, the kingdom of God is a mixed, it's mixed expression. And evil men, if they can advance their own agenda by putting on a persona of faith in Christ, they will. And so, when it suited men, no doubt, in England and Scotland and Northern Ireland and America and other places, when it suited men to put on a front of faithfulness to Christ to advance their own cause, they did. They did. They did exactly what Judas did. Right? They put on a front. So, let the Lord measure how much real Christianity there was in the past. But His, his kingdom is one, He tells me, is growing. It's growing. Oh, Christian, get into your head. It's growing. It's unassuming. It's so small. You, you may not see it in your lifetime very much. The advance may be not all that much to talk about, but it's happening nonetheless. Thirdly, the invisible power of the kingdom. The invisible power of the kingdom. We have the unassuming power of it and the invisible power. Described, verse 2021, 20, and again, 
He said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Two things. First, its influence is hard to discern. And also its influence will touch everything. Its influence is hard to discern. You see what it says. She takes leaven and she hides it in three measures of meal. She hides. She conceals it is the sense of it. So, there's a sense in which it's hidden or invisible or imperceptible. We can't see it with our eyes. We don't see all that is going on. Leaven works quietly. It works silently and unassumingly, as we've already discussed. It is doesn't seem to be doing anything, maybe initially, or we imagine, what difference will this make, right? We kind of look at it and say, what difference will this make? But the difference is huge. And we have to remember that in our witnessing. I don't know how many times downtown someone has come up to, a believer has come up to me and said something to the effect of, do you see any fruit for doing this, right? Do you see any fruit for doing this? <laughs> and, you know, well, it's sort of like, well, like what? What, like, like the hundreds of people just fall down in repentance? Or like, what? what? What are you looking for? It's a sowing work. You're sowing the seed. You're, you're distributing it. I don't know what God is doing with it. I stand there on one side of the Reedy River and there are people, I can see them. They're sitting on the benches on the far side of the river and they're, they're, they're riveted there, just sitting listening. I don't know. They may be believers. They may be unbelievers. I don't know. Some of them come up. Some of them make a beeline sick and they take the leaflet or the little thing that I give out. They, I, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. For all I know, 80% of the people who hear my voice before they die will be converted. I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It's leaven. It's hidden. Its work is not in public view. Again, it's, it's not fanfare. It's not... It's, 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 it's slow, and, but it's influential. Can you imagine if everyone did it? Can you imagine if... <laughs> imagine if every Christian... Right? Just, just imagine... You know, like, like Moses said, would the, all the Lord's people were prophets, right? It's not going to happen, but it would be nice, right? Moses would have liked that. Imagine if that was the case, would the, all the Lord's people were street preachers? <laughs> and every Christian in Greenville was at some point in the week standing declaring the word. Imagine! <laughs> do, you, do you think that would do something? Sure it would. Of course it would. I mean, some people would be mad. For sure they would be mad. They're already complaining. They're already complaining about two things downtown. More homeless people begging and more preachers preaching, right? I, I see it. I know that's going on. And there are more signs coming, going out and stuff just reminding us of the laws concerning uh, noise, ordinances, and all the rest of it. But imagine that we did that. Well, it's not going to happen. But, what an influence. You don't know what the influence is. It's just leaven. It would leaven. And, it, and it, it's hard to discern. Now, you, you know that. You parents know that when you disciple your children. You don't see a difference from one day to the next, do you? I, I, I doubt it. You don't see a difference one day to the next. So you're, you're reading the Bible again, and you're praying again, and you're chastening again, and you're discipling again, and you're instructing, and you're so on and so forth, and you're looking for new ways, looking for new ways, right? Uh, the new way in our house, I'm always looking for kind of little ways. Of course, when I come up with another idea, sometimes my wife is like, there he goes, you know? <laughs> but I, I try to limit it to worthwhile ideas, and so far, it's been good. The new one is, the girls, Monday through Friday, have to come up with a question for me. One question about the Bible, about spiritual things, whatever. They have to come up with a question 
Monday through Friday, five days a week, they have to come up with questions. Now, they could sit down on Monday morning and think of five for the whole week. I don't care. I don't care whether it comes each day or it's like a pre-made list that they've come up with or whatever. But already, already it's been so, the conversations have been so encouraging and I have to rein myself in because one of the questions on Friday was, what's the difference between Baptists and Presbyterians? <laughs> well, how long have we got? Because <laughs> we could extrapolate that out for a long time and I did get a little eye from my wife, don't you know, to, so maybe it's time to, to, to stop. But anyway, but you don't see a lot of change from one day to the next. It's leaven. Parents, it's leaven. You stay, you stay positive. You, you, again, have this confidence. You're aiming for conversion and growth in grace, but slowly yet purposefully. All right? It's not, you're not looking for some big dramatic thing. You're just, just laboring carefully, bringing them through in their understanding. Our discipleship has to be slow and careful. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preventable will give them a repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and so on. That tells me, slow. Be slow. Someone's opposing themselves. Don't run in there ready to lop off heads. Be slow. And so it is again with our children. When they are in error, be, be slow. Go in there and keep working in the Scriptures, and praying with them and over them, and looking for the leaven to work its effect in their lives. Its influence is hard to discern, but as I said also, I want us to see its influence will touch everything. It spreads. It spreads till the whole was leavened. Yep. It's the nations Christ is after. The nations. It's the whole. All of it. Not satisfied with little, you know, one or two nations here and there. Well, America has repented. Let the rest of the world head to hell. No. No, 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 no. He sees those darkened regions. He sees all the wicked influence of false Christianity and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and atheism and communism and every ungodlyism. He sees all its darkening influence upon the souls of men, and he he sends he sends little little lumps of leaven. Missionaries, <laughs> missionaries, like a young man from Bob Jones wanting to go to Yemen, right? Just just send them in. There are only maybe one or two there. There aren't many. But just send them in. And the leaven, let the leaven do its work. So that after 10 years or 20 years or 40 years or 100 years or 200 years, there's been a huge influence. This has happened. And it will continue to happen. We're reading the narrative, the inspired word concerning the Son of God made flesh in this world. And at that point, the truth was largely right just there, on a, on a place where you could barely see it on a global map. And where is it today? It will touch everything. So I expect the conversion of millions. When I was in Grand Rapids, I got talking to a young man who's in seminary at PRTS, and he was telling me about his parents. His, pa his father's a pastor in China, underground church. His mother works at a hospital. She had a very high up position, but she kept witnessing to people, and eventually they were like, look, you have to stop witnessing. We appreciate your work. We want you to be here, but we have to stop talking to people about Jesus. But she wouldn't, so they demoted her. And she continues just to, 
to, to, to tell the gospel. And the church keeps growing. And every few years it gets to about 200 and then they split off and they, they just keep kind of in, under the radar, moving around when they need to. But this is happening all over China. It's, it's great. And the, and the young men, those who are affluent enough, they're, they're coming here to get their seminary training to go back and to be living there, instructing in the church. This is happening, multiplied all over the world. And yet, tomorrow, the headlines will be such, and you'll be saying, oh, woe is the church. It's all, it's all in vain. Look at this administration. There's no hope for America. <laughs> no, not in any administration, but Christ's. And that's always been the case. What's wrong with us? So do not lose heart, Christian. Do not lose heart. Will we see revival in our day here? Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's not outside the realm of possibility, is it? And maybe it's revival that will make all the awakenings of the past look like, look like the, the, the small shoots of, of the plant. And we will see something that will sweep across the nation the like of which we have never imagined possible. I don't know. But I know this. I know this. The kingdom of God it's like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden and it grew and waxed a great tree. And it's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. The whole touches everything. Well, I'm not saying universalism. Not everyone's going to be saved. Why does the gate broad as the way that leads to destruction? Many there be that go in thereat. I understand. But we don't take these scriptures and then make them supplant what Christ says about his kingdom. It is growing. It is growing. And it will continue to do so. So Christian, be encouraged. Be encouraged. And pray for the regions beyond. Pray for the nations that are still in darkness. When you see these nations and the, the media wants you to kind of look and hate that nation because of its regime or its plans or its language towards the West and America, whatever. Yes, yes, pray for your nation to do the right thing and guidance for our leaders and all. But also pray, Lord, bring, bring enlightenment. Reign by your, your grace there. Send a, a flood of missionaries right into that land. Turn upside down like you did in the first century. Do it, Lord, for your glory. Don't just leave it in his darkness. Pray for a flood of light. I think we look at the Protestant Reformation as if God is sort of saying, <laughs> look what I can do, and you'll never see it again. No! I, I, why, why should I believe that? Why? Why should I believe that? Look at the Protestant Reformation say, it will never be done, it will never happen again. Well, it won't happen in the precise way or manner, but why can something like that not transpire? Maybe not in Europe, maybe not in some other area that we would be prone to desire it to happen in first. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is happening. Maybe it's actually happening in China. Maybe. It's, I mean, really, that's what's going on. And we hear words, I don't know how true it is, we hear words about the government fearful of the rising influence of Christians. Is the truth? I don't know. I hear those whispers. Because they see 300 million professing believers. Almost the population of this entire nation apparently professing faith in China. And growing all the time. Lift up your eyes. Stop praying such limited prayers. 
reach up, reach out and, and believe. Because if your faith even has a grain of mustard seed, you can remove the mountain. Let us attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. May the Lord help us. Let's bow together in prayer. I have spoken of the kingdom of our God. And the question as we close tonight is, are you part of that kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? Have you repented and surrendered your will to the will of this King, even the Lord Jesus Christ? To leave here unbelieving is to leave here in rebellion. And in God's name, do not, do not continue on in rebellion against the Lord Jesus. Our Father, we pray thy blessing upon thy word. Oh, help us. We have providentially come to this portion for the deepening encouragement of our hearts. Help us when we don't see a whole lot happening in our place and location to yet believe like our Lord Jesus for the advance of thy kingdom. Deliver us from abstaining from praying thy kingdom come. Let us pray for it and let us expect it. And oh God, remember, remember the regions. Remember the regions still in so much darkness. Think of even the northeast and the northwest regions of this very nation. Send more missionaries and preachers of the cross. Do it across Canada. For there are many needs there. And into Mexico, all down through Central and South America. God send many missionaries across the nations of this world and upend all the false isms. Do it for thy glory and honor. Bless us in our fellowship tonight. Meet with us. Encourage our hearts as we converse one with another. Attend our fellowship and conversation with thy presence. And may we go into this week not trusting in our own strength, but being empowered by the Spirit to live and bear testimony May our little efforts of being light and salt, may they work and function like mustard seeds and leaven, extending the reach of thy kingdom. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen. Mm-hmm.